Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is a professor, a speaker, a coach, and an author who just released her new book, Why Do I Feel Like This? She's also the founder of Influencing Well, a company that helps influencers prioritize their inner healing and wellness in order to achieve maximum success. We're going to be talking about her journey and, of course, her new book today. Dr. Peace Amadi, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, and you're really good at this. Oh. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. And to the listeners, you may recognize her last name because I have had her sister, Indidi Amati, on the show several times. So got it. I'm going through the whole family. <laughs> I love it. Two beautiful, strong Black women. And if there's nothing that I love more when I see Black women choose fields that you typically don't see that representation in. So I love what you've been doing. And, and I read in your bio that you got into this line of work because of your own experiences as a child of going through bullying and going through anxiety and depression. So what were some of those experiences? And you can be as open as you feel comfortable, but from those experiences, when did you start to make those shifts to turn those bad experiences into power to to help you grow and overcome them? Mm, Definitely later than I wished. Because I realized, you know, you you know, hindsight is, you know, perfect, right? I realized um, looking back that even in college, even in grad school, the beginning of grad school, I was still that little girl, you know, inside who was self-conscious and insecure and felt like I did everything wrong because of my bullying experiences um, because, you know, I learned from my experiences at an early age that I, and, and this was my core belief back then, that I was, you know, easy to pick on, that there was something wrong with me, that there was something about me internally and, you know, externally that made made it easy for people to do and say the type of things they did and said. Um, but Somehow in the middle of all of that, I also saw and was able to, I was able to see that I had a strength, um, that there were people in my life, you know, my friends, close family members who loved talking to me about their problems, loved sharing their stories with me, felt really good about, you know, the conversations they had with me and would leave you know, better than the, than they came into the conversation. And so when I learned in college that there was a whole field that, you know, was dedicated just to listening to people's stories and helping them heal, um, quite honestly, in the same ways I, you know, was pursuing healing, I was like, well, this is, this is the field for me. So got into grad school and it was sort of like a parallel process of understanding how people heal, but also healing myself as we really got into understanding how our experiences shape us, how to unpack that, how to unlearn certain things, how to rebuild ourselves up. Um, Yeah. And so it, it, it was later in life, but it's never too late to heal. Right. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that, that it was that parallel of like having to work on yourself, but also figuring out how to help others. And was there always kind of an inner battle with you going through that process? Because I can only imagine the push and pull that you probably were experiencing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I also remember experiencing some self-doubt because I, I realized that as I was learning how to help people in their healing journey, I was still going through a lot of healing myself. Mm -hmm. There's literally a phrase, you know, attributed to that type of process. It's called the wounded healer. And you'd be surprised or maybe not be surprised that a lot of people that we seek out to help us heal, like therapists, you know, um, have wounds of their own, have yeah. wounds that they're still healing from. And it, it doesn't take anything away from their ability to help others, um, provided that they are intentional about continuing to do the work themselves. Um, but I remember until I realized that and kind of had that process normalized for me, I was, I was like, whoa, can I do this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I would, I would have clients, I don't, I don't do therapy anymore, but back then I, you know, I would have clients you know, trying to heal from a bullying experience themselves. And I would be like this close to tears because oh, I'm like, no, me yeah. too. <laughs> you know, but, um, but that just, you know, being wounded also just makes you that much more compassionate, that much more validating and that much more understanding about how, uh, challenging it could be to really, you know, find your truth. And so there's an empathy and a sensitivity you have when you've been wounded yourself, um, you know, with, and, and in that position of wanting to help other people heal. For sure. You know, I, I've talked about this quite a bit, but I do feel like there is this resistance specifically in the black community um, to want to talk about your problems and want to deal with mental health and deal with, you know, any kind of adversity, just talking about it. And also when you're more of a faith-based person, you're told you need Jesus and that's it, you know, but you can have Jesus and a therapist, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. But for you, did you ever have that kind of struggle when it came to your faith and then also wanting to heal? Did you ever feel like, Hmm, maybe I do just need to pray about it, but no, I, I should go there, get therapy. Like, did you ever have that battle? You know, what's interesting about that is I personally never had that battle, but I, I saw it everywhere around me. And I think that's what actually motivated me to pursue the work that I'm doing mm. because somehow along the way, I, I was just convinced that prayer was good and, and God is great and he is the ultimate source of healing, but that there was this like big, world out there, you know, that he created and he downloaded the best parts of him into people yeah. and into fields, you know what I mean? And I just had this sense that there was a way to dig into our healing, you know, that would like supplement the prayer that we were doing. And so I always felt you know, like sort of out of place and a little bit shocked when I would hear things from the pulpit. Like, you know, if you have an anxiety, you, you know, you just don't trust God enough. And I'm mm. like, well, what if something is literally wrong with your brain? Or, you know, what if, what if you haven't healed from what happened to you when you were five? You know what I mean? It just never, it just always felt flat for me. It always felt really dismissive. So I'm like, okay, I'm seeing something that a lot of, you know, people of God, a lot of people in the church, a lot of spiritual re uh, leaders aren't seeing. So maybe I'm going to be, 
you know, sometimes you're the answer to your own question. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm going to pursue a field, which I did and pursue work, you know, which I am. That's going to help bridge that gap because it never made sense to me. To me, God felt like, like I'm a master therapist. Yeah. I'm like, how do we not all see God <laughs> as literally a therapist, yeah. a doctor, you know, why there's this, you know, and, and if he's, put himself in us that means there's people who have been equipped mm. on top of that trained you know to to show that part of god to us yeah. and so yeah girl <laughs> i for, there's a couple things you said but you saying when you said god downloaded the best parts of himself and I, I oh i almost threw my shoe because that is such a good way to put it but it's so true it's like why would you not think that god would be able to speak to you through somebody else you know, so use the tools that are given you, use the resources that are put in front of you to get to that point of feeling, because I truly do believe that God obviously wants us to all be in our best places, in our best minds, in our best hearts and be able to be healed. So, ah, I love that you said that. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you were going through your healing, but also through your studies, what did you feel was your biggest challenge? Mm-hmm. You know, my biggest challenge, first of all, has always been internal. Like when I look back on my life and I hear other people's stories and the type of things they've been through in their lives, I'm like, people have really been through some stuff. My greatest obstacles have been internal and they've been around as cliche as this may sound, um, just literally believing that I was worthy, literally believing that I was good enough for good things, Um, believing that I was worth taken seriously, you know, Mm. believing that I had something to offer this world. And, and I know that my doubt around that came from childhood experiences and there's like some temperament stuff. You know, I'm, I'm also what's called a highly sensitive person. Um, That's like a whole field as well. And highly sensitive people can struggle a little bit more with some of these internal battles because we just feel everything so much more deeply. So if somebody says a, you know, you know, harsh words to us for another person, they might let that roll off their back for us. It could literally change our whole view (laughs) of ourselves um, just because we feel everything um, deeply. And so it's kind of like the blessing and the curse of being a a highly sensitive person. But Mm -hmm. um, that said, yeah, you know, it just, just believing in myself, believing I was worthy, feeling good enough. And I feel like more, a lot of people struggle with that, you know, life sure, leads to sure. varying degrees. Um, but that was definitely a, a, a big one for me. And I remember having a very transformative session with my therapist when I realized um, that, that that was my problem is mm-hmm. that I didn't think I was good. You know, and because I actually, I actually still to this day don't know her faith tradition. It wasn't important to me um, that she be a Christian. It was just important that um, she would give me room to explore like my own faith, which she's been really great at. So, you know, she even in that was like, well, wait a minute. Isn't like one of the first verses in the Bible about like God looking back and saying, this is good. You know what I mean? Like about his creation. And I was like, (laughs) you know know what? She's all let's like, let's unpack that. Like, where are you getting, you know, this, you know, what's created this narrative that you are not good, that you are not good enough. Um, Mm. And so that was sort of the beginning of uh, 
that was sort of the beginning of the work that I needed to do to be this person kind of sitting in front of you right now. And, and it, it felt like a, it felt like a, a later um, realization, mm-hmm. to be honest, you know, I'm like, I just didn't think of myself as someone who didn't believe in herself because I'm, I've still been able to add to my accomplishment list, but it's not sure. about that. You know, you can be a high achieving person. You can add, you know, not just to your belt um, and still really struggle with self-worth. And sure. once you realize that and once you begin to work through that, it changes everything. I write that on my website. Like once you focus on the inside, everything changes. You think you're doing big things right now. Wait until you really see how much you're worth. It's it's a game changer. Yeah. And you know, being in a field that is a predominantly white space, how have you managed to keep your self-worth intact? Because I can only imagine the, you know, the pushback you've probably received being a black woman with a doctor in the title of her name. Yeah, it's so funny. It reminds me of a story. <laughs> like in graduate school, actually, I was one of two black people in my whole cohort. Been and, there. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And um, I, you know, I, I, I just feel like I was born for this, put for this. So I was, I was doing really well in the program. But, you know, it wasn't the type of program where you're necessarily like, you know, talking about your grades all day, but, um, I was doing really well. I know I was killing it. I knew that I was probably like outperforming my classmates just because of, you know, me seeing how I was doing. And I remember us all being in a room together studying and then somebody brought up, Oh, so how did you guys, how did you, um, how did everyone do on that last test? It was like a, something I think in our research course that was like supremely difficult and um, everyone went around and like shared their score. I was like, oh, this is new. And then I got, you know, they got to me and I shared mine and it was significantly higher than everyone else's in the room. Good for you. <laughs> and they all, the way they looked at me, it's like you knew they did not expect mm. the black girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? To be like, to have killed it that way. It was just like, oh, oh, wow. oh, oh, congratulations. It, it, I cannot explain it, but oh, I, you don't have to trust me. <laughs> you don't I, you do yeah. not have to. I have been there. I get it. I understand. It's that expectation. Like, well, how did she do better than I did? Exactly. It's that exactly. attitude. Yep. And maybe they didn't, you know, I'm sure there was very limited, kind of consciousness as to what was going on for them. But like, I, I, I just living our lives as black women, let's like, we already know. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I left feeling like that was weird, but it just, you know, your question reminds me that there's been certainly times where I've been, um, I think underestimated, um, you know, just a whole bunch of other things. And I've, I think just the most powerful thing has just, been to look for representation just look yeah. for other people who are and there may, there may not be a ton of them there are more now than when I was in grad school but looking for people who look like me in these type of spaces um in any high space you know has been really powerful for me really mm-hmm. affirming really validating and really encouraging you know yeah. inspiring it's like okay well 
if the vice president of the United States can be a black woman, I really can do whatever the heck I want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me, you know, let me find out I'm trying to be president. You know what I mean? Like you just, I, it's just, it just speaks to the power of like representation um, because that's where we get our strength. That's right. where we get our strength, For seeing sure. other people be in the spaces and, and killing it. Um, Cause that affirmation isn't always going to come from, from the other. And that's yeah. just the reality. Yeah. Did you ever feel that there was pressure on you to be that representation because it was a field that was lacking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the I think that's the burden that we carry, right? It's, As a whole, just in general, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's the burden that we carry, and it's up to us. And I, I, I do think that decision should be left to each and every person, whether they want to embrace that or not, mm-hmm. because it can be tiring, you know, and it can be overwhelming. Um, I, I, I liken it to how some people are looked at as role models, but then they don't want to be role models. And I'm yeah. like, well, I respect that. You know, it's like, they don't want to be a role model and we shouldn't pressure them to have to be the role model. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way, like in this space. I happen to be someone who embraces it, you know, like I, I know how much it's meant to me to see other black women in, in powerful spaces and, and, and healing spaces. And so I embrace it, you know, I'm, I'm big on mentorship. I'm big on giving back because I know what it's take, taken for me to get to where I am and for me to find that freedom and permission to be all that I can be. Um, but but yes, to answer your question, I certainly do feel it. And I think that's just the burden that that we carry. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's unfortunate, but when you, you look at the scope of Black excellence, you feel like you have to be the representative. You feel like you have to be that quintessential Black person that people look to. It's like, I have to do good for my entire community so that they stop judging us, stop putting these stereotypes on us, stop having these perspectives of how we all function and are. Which is weird because you you don't want to get into the whole like Black people are monolith thing, but at the same time, they do look at you as the the representative for the entire community. You are the Black race. Right. (laughs) It's Uh wild. Anything you do comes back onto your entire community. So you feel like you have to make sure you're always putting your best foot forward, always doing your best and always ascending to the top. Yeah. Yeah. It can be burdensome. I think some, what I try to do though, is knowing that people are watching, you know, people who look like me and people who don't look like me. I'm also pretty intentional about doing what is authentically me. And I'm like, well, if this is new to you as a black person, well, Hey, hello. (laughs) You know, it is, you know, what it is, you know, some of the things I enjoy, some of the, even something as simple as just the different type of activities I enjoy. I can tell people are like, Oh, but wait, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? And I, I, so I do show kind of like the fullness of my personality and the, and you know, what I enjoy, um, and if that is new to you or strange to you, then, well, you just got a crash course in the fact that we are not all the same. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your company, Influencing Well. What was the impetus behind what you wanting to start it? Yeah. So I loved, um, obviously, I love the idea of wellness in general, mental health, healing, and wellness. Um, and I've always been drawn or felt especially called to people 
um, who, who I refer to as high potential people, high potential women specifically. So people who influence, people who have been clearly, you know, equipped to, to lead, um, that, you know, who have a voice that people want to listen to, um, who have like a unique set of skills that kind of, you know, make it easy for them to thrive in like bigger spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everyone is like called to that. Not everybody wants that, but there's, there's people that are and do, and, and we feel it, right. We feel it when we are someone who we, 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 it's like people who know that they are meant for greater things or that they have great potential. We always feel it. It's like the, the part, it's like the sense God puts in us that propels us to pursue whatever that calling is. Um, I've always been drawn to those type of people, specifically women. But what I was realizing is, um, sometimes those, you know, us, we don't take care of ourselves, you know, while we are walking in our purpose, while we are building our platforms, you know, while we are um, impacting and influencing. And um, I had seen the times that it was happening for me where it's like, I'm not taking care of myself. And even before that, sometimes we're letting our own fears and Um, beliefs about ourselves and, you know, mindset traps get in the way of us even becoming that influencer, you know, becoming that leader. So between that stuff getting in the way and between actually walking in purpose, but not taking care of yourself, I felt like I really wanted to create, start, you know, create something that would address um, those things um, for, you know, for women like you and me. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a journey, you know, there's so much more I want to grow in, in my business, but I'm really proud of the work I've been able to do with the couple courses that I've launched so far, um, gearing up to add more to the library, sort of ultimately building like a school, if you will, um, of stuff that's going to be put, you know, tailored to women like you and I, and I'm sure that are listening because if they're drawn to this podcast, then they are probably, you know, that type of person, (laughs) um, to just help us, um, heal, you know, help us pursue our own healing, um, and to help us lead, um, and do that, you know, while staying well. Yeah. Uh, is a big deal to me. Yeah, I love that. Is there anything that you found that is a common denominator between the people that you've worked with as to why they haven't taken the time to really heal in order to lead? Because I know a lot of people, for example, they will drown themselves in busy work to kind of ignore having to take care of themselves. And then they think that they're doing well because let's say they're successful, they have a big following, you know, their businesses are going well, but they've never actually hit pause once in their life. And then when they do, they probably fall apart. So have you seen anything like that? Or is there anything that's common between all of these people that you've worked with in your company? I think a lot of it actually may come down to just not knowing that there is a better way, you know, Mm. not, not knowing that there, that there is healing that needs to be done. It's this healing is this interesting, interesting thing where you can literally realize you can literally live your life, not realizing that you need to heal from something. Cause this has been your norm. You know, you have your hair triggers and you're just like, well, you know, 
I just, I just flip out when that happens. And, you know, you don't have an understanding that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, or you don't have to be burnt out. Um, or, you know, there could be even greater success around the corner for you if you really get this part of you in check. I think there's just a lack of awareness that you can have both. You can yeah. have this massive influence and impact. And you can also be whole you know you can be flourishing inside um as much as you're flourishing outside um so I, yeah lack of awareness and just once you realize it I, just the options of like where to go and how to yeah. get that um could either just be limited or not accessible um so i think there's a ton of reasons but you know that's why i'm doing the work that i'm doing so Absolutely. whoever you know feels like they may be drawn to what I'm doing. Uh, you know, part of what I do is actually creating that awareness too. Like if you feel like this, 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 that, and a third, guess what? You don't have to feel that way. You know what I mean? Um, and I've noticed that the more I list out and paint a picture of what some of these um, kind of holes and gaps in our mind, heart, and soul are, the more people are like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, maybe that is something I need to look into, which makes me think, okay, this is an awareness thing. People don't even know they're hurting. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I think as of late, the conversations surrounding healing and mental health and all of that is becoming less and less of a stigma. And I have appreciated people being more vulnerable and willing to talk about it. And I don't know if you've noticed that as well, but if you have, why do you think there is a shift in our culture that is allowing people to talk about their problems more? Yeah, I've definitely noticed the shift. And I, I literally think it's just because more people are deciding to be more bold and courageous about talking about their own mental health mm -hmm. journeys and their own mental health struggles. And, you know, you know, like people that we all genuinely respect. So the more our leaders and, you know, the celebrities we look up to, you know, um, it, it matters. Like the more these people that have huge platforms open up and say, this is what's been going on with my mental health. This is how I'm getting help. You know, this is how I'm healing. Um, I think the more we see that and then the more we, the more we see that, the more it becomes more normalized. And then for those of us who are, you know, not the Oprah's and the Meghan Markle's of the world yet, you know, just be, <laughs> keep, that, keep that energy, keep that energy. I love that. <laughs> just talking about it, um, amongst our families and in mm -hmm. our communities. I mean, when I, um, launched my book, which is about two weeks ago or so I had a, I had a little virtual party. It was really cute. And I remember my sister brought up, um, that, you know, I was the first to sort of talk about mental health in my family. Mm. You know, like I, I feel blessed to have the family that I have. Like I can't, I, I don't have too much to complain about. I have to be honest there, but, but one thing we weren't great at at least earlier is, you know, how to respond to big emotions. And, and the more I learned about psychology and definitely once I got into grad school, I would literally come home and be like, okay, when we're feeling something big, this is how we talk about it. And this is why we talk about it, yeah. you know, or if someone's hurting in the corner, you know, we need to stop. Why are you crying? It's like, sit down, literally put on your gentle voice and ask what's going on. Like yeah. what's hurting you? You know what I mean? And so being able to teach that and model that 
in my family, um, by God's grace, like an impact and who my family is now and how we respond to each other in pain is definitely different from 10, 15 years ago. It's night and day. And it was my sister that brought that to my attention. Like, remember back when, and then you would do this and, you know, so-and-so would do this, but now look what they're doing. And I'm like, ah, you're so right. And it was just literally a little bit of education and a little bit of role modeling as to what it looks like to respond um, more appropriately to emotion. So Mm -hmm. the more we teach and the more we model, just even in our families and communities, um, the more we destigmatize. So we have power in this area too. Yeah. And speaking of your book, I love the title. Why do I feel like this? We're going to talk about that. But the reason I love that title is because I think that that is the main question people ask themselves. And it's really brilliant that you titled that because there have been times where I'm just upset or I'm sad or I'm down on myself. And I literally go like, why do I feel like this? Like, I don't, I don't, why am I, what is going on? So I want to know why you decided on that title, but then also talk us through kind of what the journey of that book is as people are reading it and kind of getting to know you. And I'm sure you talk about your personal journey as well, but let's talk about why do I feel like this? Yeah, well, that exactly, Melinda, the fact that, we all ask that question, right? I know, you know, if I can be vulnerable for a little bit, Mm -hmm. I know that I've asked that the most after heartbreak because, you know, I've happened to been through quite a few of those (laughs) for whatever reason. And, um, I would be hurt and I wouldn't be able to just bounce back. Like I, I have friends who would like break up with the boyfriend and be able to bounce back the next day. And that was never me. I was the person who hurt and hurt and hurt mm. for weeks and months. And I'm like, literally, why do I feel like this? Why is this happening to me? Why is literally my heart bleeding? You know? And the more, because I'm just in general, an observer of people, I just, I, I had a sense um, that people were doing the same around their own struggles. Why can't I just get up in front of 30 people and give this presentation without wanting to pass out? You know, why can't I get over my, you know, um, breakup? Why, um, I did, you know, another one that I saw a lot of was why am I literally grieving the loss of not a person, but a thing, you know, like why, 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 why? And I was like, when I sat down and actually, it wasn't just when I sat down because I've been wanting to write a book for all the <laughs> life. Um, but when I sat down to decide what my first book was going to be about, it just, it was a really, a, a clear sort of decision that I wanted to write something around helping people understand their difficult emotions. Yeah. Um, I think the more we understand, the more empathic we are, towards ourselves, the more compassionate we are towards ourselves. And that was a big deal for me too, because I felt like why people weren't healing is that they were beating themselves up for feeling something very natural and for feeling something that was actually trying to teach them something. So here's what I've been saying, and this is the heart of the book. Like if there's one takeaway, I want people to grab from talking with me, from looking at this book, it's that our emotions aren't our enemies. They're not a sin. Our emotions are 
our advocates. Literally each and every emotion is rooting for our healing. Each and every emotion has a message that it's trying to send to us. It's trying to clue us in to what we need, what yeah. we want, you know, what's gone unresolved, what's gone unfulfilled. It's literally just trying to give us messages, give us the roadmap to our healing. We cannot heal without leaning into and trying to understand our emotions. We cannot heal without befriending these things. And that's the heart of the book. Yeah. So you're getting an understanding as to why you feel, but you're also getting an invitation to lean in and hear what this emotion, be it anxiety, depression, envy, hear what this emotion is trying to tell you about your life. Because mm. if you listen and you have a conversation, you're going to be that much more closer to your freedom. It's literally the only way to get to that point. And so that's the book, girl. Wow. I cannot wait to read it. So if you could give one piece of advice to people that are struggling with getting to the point of even just acknowledging the fact that they need to get help and they need to heal, how would you say, you know, this is where your starting point should be? Yeah. Your starting point so, so let me ask you this. Am I talking to people of faith? Let's do both. Let's do both. Okay. I, I actually think it applies to both, but <laughs> I, that's a good I, question. Cause people do approach it differently, but that's a great, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the starting point is understanding, trusting, believing that your creator wants the very best for you. Mm. And you have this life, you don't know, you know when it started, you don't know when it's going to end, you know, um, before the time we're here, your creator wants the best for you. He wants you to thrive. He, you know, he wants you to have joy, peace, all of that. We can't have those things without healing. We can't, you know. Um, we can find success and still be so empty and so lonely and so sad inside. So that would be what I would say. Like, if you're, if you're here taking a space on this earth, you know, do you want the fullness of what it has to offer? Do you want the best of what it has to offer? Not just externally, but internally. Yeah. Um, and if you do, then looking at those emotions and looking at what they're trying to tell you um, is a great start because again, they're your advocates. Those are the, our emotions are going to advocate for how exactly you can find that fullness of life. I love it. I need to meet mama and dada Amadi and tell them they did a good job with their daughters. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, how do you get two daughters that are both this incredible? What? Oh, you're so sweet. I mean, my sister is too, so I'm not going to lie. We, <laughs> my mom and dad did, did pretty good. <laughs> yes, they did. Oh, thank you. Well, Dr. Peace, tell my listeners where they can follow you and where they can get a copy of your book. Absolutely. So the best way to get connected with me is um, certainly at this time, Instagram. Um, you can find me there at It's Peace and Lottie. Um, and because that's where I share all my updates, course offerings, just if you want to see, you know, how I celebrate birthdays with my friends, all of it, <laughs> you're going to get all of it. Um, um, and of course, all the different links to where to get my book, 
Um, so for anyone who's actually viewing this, there's what it looks like. Why do I feel like this? And it's sold wherever books are sold. So you can get it um, online anyway. Amazon.com, Target.com, BarnesandNobles.com, Walmart.com, and then the actual publisher, IVPress.com. So you can grab your little um, healing <laughs> handbook. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yes. And I'd love to. For those that do, I'd love to hear how it's landing for you, which um, I, I'll be looking for you on, on Instagram. I check all my DMs. I try to respond to as many people as possible, and that's been fun. So, yeah, I invite you to meet me in these pages, um, and I, I, I have a good feeling that it'll be a good thing for you. Amazing. Well, it was a, such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye. Thank you.